0: Welcome to the CTL Connection Podcast. I'm Peter Bell, and every week I'll be sharing an interview with a top engineering leader. Firstly, I want to thank AWS, who are our exclusive, ultimate partner, and without whom we couldn't run our summits or the business. AWS offers a broad set of global cloud-based products to equip technology leaders to build better and more powerful solutions. Reach out to aws-ctl-program at amazon.com if you're interested in learning more about their offerings. I'd also like to thank Code Climate, our sustaining partner. Code Climate is now offering full access to Velocity free for 45 days to the CTO Connection community. Velocity turns data from GitHub and Bitbucket into insights that improve the visibility of engineering work so that your team can stay aligned as they adapt to a distributed workflow. Check it out at codeclimate.com slash CTO Connection and user access code CTO Connection. I'd also like to thank our other sponsors, including Andela, Bugsnag, CircleCI, iTechArt, Carrot, LaunchDarkly, and Optimizely for their continued support during these difficult times. And now on with the show. Today I'm speaking with Andy Skipper, the Chief Coach at CTO Craft. Andy, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. No, thanks for having me. So I'm just looking through your LinkedIn experience, as always with our guests. We try to get a little bit of the backstory as how things went so horribly wrong that nobody now lets you touch a keyboard and commit to a repository on your own. So you started off by writing software, presumably, back in the day?
1: I did. I did, yeah. I was a, an engineer from, uh, let's see, from the age of 17. So I joined my first uh, my first agency when I was uh, still in college in 19, and uh, did that until uh, i until, uh, Took on my first leadership role. Yeah,
0: interesting. And and I see some. I see all kinds of stuff there. Clearly, you you moved a, around a bit. Um, what kinds of coding were you doing in the early days? Was this like web development? I mean, what, what was it back then? I guess um, PHP, Java.
1: Not even that good. Not even that good. Uh, so my my earlier projects were uh, were classic ASP and um, and C DLLs. Um, but also some flash and some action scripts. So I worked for a couple of media agencies where I um, I was responsible for building some of their rich media uh, productions for some uh, some largest clients. Um, but no, the the first big project that I worked on was a uh, um, a monolith in uh, in every sense of the word that for uh, um, a a company who should remain unnamed, but uh, eventually got superseded by Netflix, shall we say? and for which there are now <laughs> lots of empty buildings around the world. <laughs> we'll leave it at that.
0: Got it. So I remember those days. I was doing uh, code fusion programming at the time, so uh, I remember that well. So what was it, other than the the joys of trying to programmatically interact with Flash, what was it that made you decide you wanted to run teams rather than write code?
1: Um, I don't think it was a conscious decision, to be completely honest. I think I, I got to the point where I was the, um, the most capable person within the engineering teams of answering questions and talking to, uh, non-technical people. And, um, you know, I was, I was a de facto sales engineer in that I would always come along to the, um, to the, the client meetings and, uh, and answer questions. And, um, because I was capable of translating, I guess it, it kind of put me in a position where I was able to get the most out of the engineers as well. And so it, it kind of happened by default.
0: Makes sense. And so what what kind of size of team were you were you initially working with and what kind of projects?
1: Uh, let's see. So I worked for a couple of very small teams, which were three or four engineers. Um, and then I moved to London in my mid-20s and uh, suddenly became part of a, I think we were a 30, 35-person team. And they were all um, uh, kind of media projects at that point. So we did a... Uh, a campaign for um Gillette uh, over the um uh, over the world cup back in 2006 I'm trying to remember now <laughs> <laughs> and um uh, and that kind of thing so it would be either big cms type projects or um or small uh media driven kind of experience driven things for for that kind of business um and some pretty big names so, um uh, Colgate and Weetabix and Baby Bell <laughs> and, uh, and all that and all that that kind of business just uh, just media projects
0: got it and then i i see that you had a, a number of different kind of like freelance cto gigs working with different companies how did you find that life just that experience of working with different businesses and helping them was there a, a common use case was it like hey we've got seven engineers and nobody to lead us or we've outgrown our cto like what what were the kinds of triggers that would make somebody bring you in as a freelance cto
1: so pretty broad, to be honest. So there were certainly quite a few situations where um, they had built a, an engineering resource without any kind of leadership. Um, or they were quite a- early days and they were outsourcing everything and didn't know how to manage those outsource partners. And in some cases, they had an idea and they just wanted a sounding board. Um, there were quite a few of those businesses where the initial technical part of the team or the technical person on the team quite often... Was actually a very inexperienced person who'd come in for a bit of sweat equity and a bit of experience, and just uh, hadn't hadn't scaled, um, hadn't worked out, hadn't um, got uh, got into the um, the needs of the the business as well as the needs of the technology. Had in some cases built cathedrals rather than um, getting stuff out there and getting market fit, and so on and so forth, um, and uh, and then had dropped out or needed support. So there was a, a bit of both of those, but a lot of, lot of young CTOs who were on the path to burning out, basically.
0: Now, that's really interesting. And, and I know that that's going to bring us to, to our topic in just a moment, which is to talk about CTOs and burnout. But the, the last thing I want to get in is you, you moved from kind of informally being this kind of uh, freelance CTO for a large number of organizations. But then three years ago, you founded CTO Craft. What was the, the vision behind that? And why did you do that?
1: Yeah, I'm sure. So, so actually, before CTO craft, I had a uh, a small consultancy of um, of CTOs, freelance CTOs, fractional CTOs, uh, a myriad of names, but people who who worked for several clients at a time, essentially. And and as I said before, a, a large part of the work that you do in those situations is either coming alongside a um, a fairly inexperienced or or struggling CTO. Um, or replacing them if they've burnt out completely and, and left the company at the lurch, and so inadvertently we became coaches first and foremost. And uh, the kind of work we were doing, the way we were positioning ourselves, didn't really suit that. Um, I'd actually been doing coaching for a number of years before that, so I started coaching CTOs back in 2012 and was doing it either pro bono or um, or through these roles where people were struggling, and so doing it uh, as a as an entity with um a, a number of other people in that consultancy was the the logical next step and we wanted it to be a a separate brand so it was more focused on learning rather than consultancy and so that's that's where cto craft came from
0: that's great and then so let, let's dive straight into the the, the topic of burnout so I know that a lot of people come to you when they've got an issue with with a CTO burning out. What what are some of the the common triggers or what what is if you were to look at a given CTO are there are there certain questions you'd ask or things you'd look for to be like yeah that this one is not long for this role. <laughs> yeah.
1: So typically it's cynicism first and foremost. You know, so so um, they have become very cynical of the the mission of the organisation, of the decisions that are being made around them, uh, of the uh, the people that they have around them, um, but also um, cynical of their own abilities. So you know, even in some cases, very experienced engineers, and in some cases, very experienced uh, leaders, um, they will uh, just get to the point where they're so physically and emotionally exhausted um and uh and so out of sorts that they um they start doubting their own abilities and and typically it's a it's a a combination of, of those three exhaustion cynicism and self-efficacy as they call it which is uh yeah your your ability to see the um the good that you're doing
0: got it now maybe even to go a step before that kind of to do a little bit of root cause analysis have you noticed that there are common patterns as to why somebody get? presumably most people don't come into a job and it's like, wow, this sucks. I hate the mission. I don't like my coworkers and I suck. So are there some choices that the CTOs were making maybe a little earlier that set them up for getting that kind of burnout?
1: Yeah. And I think not just the CTOs, but the founders. So a very common model is that um, a team of founders will start putting together a plan for a startup and they um, uh, they will have no money or they'll have very little capital to, to get going with. And they'll go out and they'll look for a, a technologist to start either building or running a team to, to build the first version of it. And they they hire someone who is not, uh, not experienced as a strategist or a leader. Um, and then they expect that person to grow with the team uh, and with the business and that uh, that is something that that usually only happens if you're very lucky um finding finding a very experienced cto who's been through that that trajectory of um very very early doors up to you know scaling um series a b c um who is willing to work right at the beginning of a company for for equity um is, uh, and a and a vastly reduced salary if you're lucky is is very rare Um, And so what you end up with is people who are 23, 24, joining a a startup, they're given a lofty C-level title, um, and two things happen when you do that. You end up with people who have the the weight of the success of the business on their shoulders if it's a tech company, um, who just don't have the facilities to deal with that. But you also have non-technical people in the leadership team who expect too much from them. And quite often are not experienced as leaders themselves, so they're not very good at expressing those expectations. And so the outcome of that is that the person starts to set their own expectations of themselves
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and usually makes a, um, makes a mess of that and then, um, and then fails in that and then beats themselves up about it and overworks and, and so on and so forth.
0: So just just to cover that area before we get back in, because it, it's always that's fascinating to me. A lot of people come to me and they're like, "Hey, I've got a cool idea, and I'm I'm willing to give up some equity. Do you know like a top flight CTO I can get?" And like I know a lot of top flight CTOs, and no, you can't get them. Like unless you're related to them, or they're passionate about the mission, or you know they just dropped acid before your meeting, and then, you know right. it's like made a very poor poor life choice. So how do you balance that, right? Because the the challenge is that the the natural progression is, I mean, I I don't even look at uh, pre-funded companies these days. If I was ever to take a CTO role, I'm looking at, you know, like a series A, strong product market fit. I know what's good and what's bad and whether or not I can have some impact on that. Uh, What do you think is the right way if you were to give some advice just briefly, and I know it's not our core audience to like the founders who are, you know, trying to get, uh, Werner Vogels to join their team, but actually end up with like, you know, a 19 year old script kiddie. Like mm. I, how can they help that person not burn out? Are there, are there some general heuristics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to hiring a 19 year old script kiddie in that case is not necessarily the worst decision in the world, but I think what what's important is that they're open and honest with themselves as well as with the people that are bringing in that probably isn't the CTO. That's probably just the the first person that comes in to build stuff and then makes it clear from from day one that at some point there will be some more experienced technology leadership um that's brought in above them um and and you know nip it in the bud before it happens.
0: I, I've seen one title I really like is head of engineering because it doesn't actually mean anything. It's not VP <laughs> level, it's not director level, it's like you're you're just the best we got right now. But I've I've actually taken earlier in my career head of engineering roles and I quite liked it. Because it was clear that it would not be a demotion if I had to go bring in a grown up above me in the in the org.
1: Yeah, that's it. I think the the second part of it is knowing the right time to bring in a a more experienced person. Which you know, not not all companies do. They'll leave it to the last minute, and and typically because there is a a person in that head of or VP of or whatever role you, who clings onto it. They've got in a lot of cases a lot of uh, a lot of reason to do so. They've got a, a Good, solid, golden handcuff that they want to cling on to that they they fear they're going to lose if they're replaced by a CTO or a, uh, a VP of engineering.
0: I one I one way that I've seen people handle this conversation, it's kind of like the the engineering versus management track conversation you have with the with that is like saying, "Well, look, do you want to be the best engineer we have or the worst leader? Like, do you genuinely want to be in meetings all day, or would you like to ship code?" And I've been surprised, you know. How often you can get somebody to to focus on? You're right. Let me take a distinguished architect role, and actually bring somebody else in to figure out what our hiring rubric is going to be.
1: Yeah, right. But I think having the or expecting uh, that that level of maturity and that that kind of foresight in someone very young coming from a you know quite often their junior or midweight developers not expecting them to know the right time to replace themselves and what role they should move into is, is too much.
0: I think it's interesting too, because also I think that it helps if you've got a good VC network. So I was speaking with Greg Brockman, years ago um, at the San Francisco CTO Summit. And he was, of course, the CTO of Stripe. And I was like, wait a minute, you were like in a dorm room. You'd never even worked in an engineering team and you build this huge engineering org. like, how did you do it? And I'm I'm going to get the exact name wrong, but it's along the lines of, well, you know, I just had coffee with the CTO of Dropbox and the CTO of Airbnb, and they told me how to make it work. I'm like, oh, so I guess going through Y Combinator back then was a good thing.
1: (laughs) Right, right. I think that's it. You know, certainly in my early CTO roles, um, well, we'll, we'll get onto it, but my, my first CTO role, I, I certainly burnt out, but in future CTO roles, the, the way I avoided it was by having a group of mentors and, um, and having people, including some VCs who I could talk to about the, the state of things and what I should expect.
0: So I got to ask about that. So yeah, how, how did this become personal? What, what was your experience of, of, burnout as an engineering leader? sure so so
1: i had led teams when I, before i got to my first cto level role but um uh when i started working for startups i suddenly got catapulted into, into the cto level role which you know at at the time i just thought was king of the developers basically <laughs> <laughs> and you know i was i was very naive i was 25 um and basically uh i just got everything wrong essentially to, to my credit, I think probably the other founders of the company did as well um in that they uh they didn't know how to to run a a technology company or really a company at all to be honest but um essentially i I made all the uh the typical rookie mistakes I didn't delegate anything I hoarded all the best programming work um I neglected the uh the relationships with the other departments and with the founders i um i isolated myself. Commonly. Um, yeah, and I think it, it was a victim of its own success as well, and that it took quite a lot of investment in quite early, early days. And so suddenly there was this huge pressure from the, the board as well and the investors, um, which I took on my shoulders. You know, it was a technology company, I was the, the chief technologist. I should be capable of just making this work. I've got resources coming out of my ears but yeah basically it just didn't work out and uh, essentially i i had a series of uh, personal disasters <laughs> during that time i had a had a house fire i um i chopped off one of my fingers um and Ooh. this this was all just from physical exhaustion and worry and stress and um and blaming myself for everything and so on and so forth so um i i ended up just burning out entirely and i had to to walk away from the company and and the and the golden handcuffs, and uh, uh, yeah, and that that basically sparked me to to really look at burnout as a as a subject, and at stress and anxiety. You know, not just in myself, but in other people. So, I'd seen it in people within my team. I'd seen it in family members. I you know seen it around, and it, it's it stayed as a a core interest of mine since then. Really,
0: and now some exclusive offers from my partners. Amazon Web Services offers a broad set of global cloud-based products to equip technology leaders to build better and more powerful solutions. Partnering with CTO Connection, AWS is now offering an exclusive program to our listeners. The program includes up to $100,000 of AWS credits, a free consulting session with a, an AWS Solution Architect to review your environment, your strategies, and optimize your costs, and other resources to help you to get started on migrating to AWS. If you're interested in learning more, please reach out to aws-cto-program at amazon.com. To lend a hand to those ramping up remote engineering processes, Code Climate is offering the CTO Connection community 45 days of full access to their engineering analytics application, no strings attached. Velocity turns SCM data into actionable insights so leaders can get visibility into the speed, capacity, and output of their newly distributed teams. Your 45 day package will include access to the full capabilities of the Velocity Professional package, a consultation with a product specialist who will map your key initiatives to data, and a training session for engineering managers and executives about how to interpret and apply this data in a way that engenders trust. CodeClimate hopes that this will equip engineering leadership to take on a new set of challenges in the weeks ahead. To request access, head to codeclimate.com slash Connection and use the code CTO Connection so what were some of the things that you have learned about burnout and anxiety and stress
1: so i've learned that burnout really comes from a mismatch of expectations and resources or demands and resources so essentially it's as simple as that it's where you're either having too much expected of you as a human being or you're expected too much of yourself um, compared to how much resource you have to, to actually fulfill on that really everything can be uh reduced to that
0: now once you've got into a you're starting to get into a burnout situation as you said there, there are some like markers the cynicism around the mission maybe your own abilities exhaustion things like that w- what should you do like what's the the right thing to do so if somebody's listening to this is like wait a minute that <laughs> that sounds like my current job what are some of the things they should be thinking about
1: well the first thing that i did um when when it started happening for me started happening for me um, was that I started speaking to people about it and um, I basically had gone through that entire role just assuming that I was alone in screwing everything up and basically that that was my demand on myself that I didn't have the resources to fulfill okay um, and so by by talking to other people by hearing other people's stories by setting myself some space to to actually learn about what was happening and, and the fact that it wasn't as unique as I thought it was. Uh, I think that was the first big win for me. Um, and then the next step I took was helping other people. You know, I um, I started talking to other people who were dealing with it, and I, I became a mentor to them. Um, you know, this is in the years after I I burnt out myself, and, and essentially helped them come back from it. And by doing so, I changed my own outlook on on stress and what's expected in a, a startup situation and and what's really acceptable and um, and started managing that um, I got a lot better at some some technical skills of leadership like delegation and um, and um, organizational design and planning and communication and that sort of thing um, and hiring I think a lot of a lot of what happened in the the early days was that I just didn't have the right people around me or people that I could trust and that was a, a function of how I'd hired them, essentially.
0: Well, and this is a compounding challenge, right? Because when you're stressed and overwhelmed, you don't have the time to create a thoughtful rubric and to do substantial outreach, maybe do, you know, build an engineering brand, wait three months, like none of that's an option. It's like, wait, warm body, can code, doesn't annoy me too much, they're in. Exactly. Exactly that. Yeah.
1: And also he's willing to work for an early stage startup with potentially a very low salary. So yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, essentially. And then I did, I did a bunch of other you know, stuff that people would have heard of, like meditation and uh, physical exercise and uh, just getting better sleep. Um, I experimented with polyphasic sleeping at, at one point, which is breaking your sleep patterns up through the day rather than having one one big chunk, which it takes out a third of your day. Um, yeah, all with varying levels of success, but all, all uh, taught me more about what the body needs for, for dealing with stress and, and burnout.
0: Just to ask, with the polyphasic, were you doing the, like, two nighttime sleeps? Were you adding a napture? What was the the structure you you, you experimented with, and did it work for you?
1: I tried all kinds of different structures. Eventually, it didn't work. I mean, to, eventually, I had to, to give it up anyway because I had a, a child. Children <laughs> children tend, tend not to follow your patterns of sleep for some reason. I don't know why.
0: <laughs> I've noticed that.
1: They didn't put that in the manual. Um, but no, I, I think the one that I stated – The structure that I stayed on longest was, uh, I think, thirty-minute sleeps, um, four or five times a day, and that that was enough, believe it or not.
0: Wow! So, and the 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 goal was to improve the increase the number of hours in the day while still retaining the effectiveness and competence for the waking hours.
1: Yeah, that's it. That's it. Exactly.
0: Wow. You're now making me think I should give it a try if I could really get down to two and a half hours sleep and still operate and be... Did, did you notice, what, when you were at those low-level sleep, did you, were you able, were you emotionally still on an even cue? Like, were you the same person as if you were getting eight to 10 hours a night? Or were you kind of like just, just hanging on with your fingernails?
1: Um, I, th- I think probably a mixture of both. But what, what, I, what I would say is that the amount of sleep you get is is not really as important as the quality of sleep. And so even if you're getting five hours of high quality of sleep, it, it, um, it trumps 10 hours of, um, of restless sleep and, uh, sleep where you wake up head and exhausted, you know? Um, so yeah.
0: Are there specific things you can do if let's say that you, you have the five hours, how do you make that good sleep?
1: That's a very good question. So in my case, I, I do it through diet and, uh, mindfulness and things like that, um, and also just practice. I think I've I've just done it for for, for so long. I mean these these days I'm sleeping longer. Uh, you know this this is this is going back. But certainly when I was doing it, I um, I exhausted myself before sleep, so I, I would exercise in the evenings. Um, I would eat well. I would uh, drink a lot of water. <laughs> but but also I did a lot of mindfulness and meditation, and um, and that that helped a lot.
0: It really is funny how the, the these, I mean, I'm sure like half of the, at least half of the listeners like, well, duh, of course this stuff matters. But I always used to think when I was doing startups, especially, I don't have time for exercise. I don't have time for good food. I barely have time for sleep. Uh, but I really have noticed that by investing in those things, like, you know, even when I get crazy busy, like three and a half year old, middle of a pandemic, bus- uh, an in-person events business that I'm pivoting fairly quickly, it's like, it turns out that if I don't run three times a week, I get less done, not more. Right,
1: right. right. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So so definitely, so this this physiological base, turns out, healthy mind, healthy body, who knew? But then what is next? What are some of the other things that you, you're talking about, like mentorship things like that? Firstly, do you see people turn this around? Is there, is there a point of no return? And are there some heuristics as to where somebody's been like, look, we can deal with your burnout, but <laughs> first you need to go get a job at you know JP Morgan for a while to, to 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 change your base like how do you how do you think about whether somebody whether you can help somebody to turn around versus whether it's time to do an executive search
1: oh i see as a as a founder he has a cto who's who's in that position
0: yeah mm,
1: it's a good question so i suppose it depends on the stage of the company and on the the culture you have at the company i mean i would always vouch for founders helping people who are in that kind of situation whether they're senior leadership or not but it's it's not always doable if you're uh with a a very short runway and um and kind of living hand to mouth a little bit as a startup. Um I think there are a lot of things you can do alongside work um which which uh, help you avoid that such as the physiological things that we've just spoken about but also I think having somebody to to speak to you as a CTO. You know certainly that that's been the biggest way that I've helped people who've been in those situations and improve the the relationship with their founders and with the rest of the companies um just by digging into it not just with mentoring but also with actual coaching so actual formal leadership coaching helping them find out where their gaps are and um, what their motivations are and um and and work to those and see how those are being met or or not met and uh, and that quite often has been useful I've also done quite a lot of um Almost couples therapy, uh, you would call it, I guess, for for founders and their their lead technologists where you you basically find out what's wrong with the relationship as opposed to what's wrong with the the person themselves.
0: Virginia Satya did some great work on like family therapies back in the day, which is also relates that long, long time ago. I was a psychotherapist, probably better for the world that I'm not. But that's really interesting because it really is, you you build these family dynamics and the same is true, especially in an early stage startup or within a leadership team. Often you can't fix one part of the puzzle without understanding how they all interrelate and, and helping all of them to change the, the way that they engage with each other.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Do you find coming in as on a consulting basis that sometimes it's hard to do that? Like the C- CEO is, no, no, they're the one that's broken. Go fix them. I'm perfect. Like, do you do you get that pushback and do you do you accept those gigs? Like, how does that work?
1: Yeah, totally. And you know, in some cases, it's a, a case of coaching them out of a role. You know, fundamentally, in some cases, the the fit just will never be there, or it has been there, and then there's too much scar tissue for them to uh, to continue. Um, sometimes it can be reworked. Sometimes it can't.
0: So, so that that's an interesting one. So then, maybe even to take it from the CTO's perspective, if I'm in a role that is you know, this is clearly I'm hitting the cynicism like this is not working for me right now. Are there some questions you or I can ask that will determine whether whether I should fix this or whether I should kind of cut my losses and, and figure out the next step?
1: Yeah. And it's actually very much, much easier to do it in a, a more established company than it is in a startup. It's typically how I approach it with people is that they they look at the the mission and the vision of the company. Um, and they they start looking at the um the the motivators they have and how those um relate to what the company's actually trying to do because what the the company trying to do essentially drives its culture as much as the the people within it um, and if there's a a cultural divide there it's just never going to work um unless they're unless they're willing to take that on the chin
0: do you find that um that the one other part with that though is sometimes it's Sometimes you don't like a mission you like just because you're, you're literally burnt out on it. Do you, are you ever like, Hey, take three days off and then let's have this conversation. Uh, Just, just in terms of how do you get somebody enough space to actually be able to say, wait, do I just hate this? Or have I just grown to hate it because of the last nine months? Yeah.
1: I think the, the honest answer is it depends on the person. You know, some some people will be able to, to take a break and uh, get some perspective and um, change their scenery and uh, and come back afresh and be able just to completely take a new look at the relationships they have with the, the, the other people in the company and be able to rationalize the, the amount of effort they have to put into the company. And some people just will never be able to do that, you know, and in those cases it is just better to find
0: something else. Makes sense. And then one thing also just like to set expectations. And this is something I've always had a challenge with. One of the reasons that I'm now running, you know, podunk little business is because when I look at CTO roles, I I love startups. I love being involved with them, being around them, being engaged with them. And I know how to build an uh, engineering culture within a startup where there is a sustainable pace for engineers. I've never managed to find a super sustainable pace as a CTO or as like a, a senior engineering leader. Like what, what is realistic? I mean, have you found people who are in venture backed, fast growth startups, CTOs who are working like 40 or 45 hours a week? I mean, what, what is sustainable? Because I understand there's a point which is burnout, but I'm not sure that, you know, uh, four, four day weeks are the, are the easiest thing to do. Like, how, how do you think about that?
1: But I've certainly come across a few um, uh, CTOs of later stage startups, I guess you'd call them Series C, Series D, who are now working three or four days a week and unsuccessfully. And
0: what about like the, the seed Series A when you're still building all that in, in place? Like, do, do you think it's possible to work 40 hours a week with a pre-seed Seed Series A company and, and, and still get it where it needs to go?
1: yeah i think so i think it's certainly possible um i think it depends on the founders it depends on the on the person um you know if they are the kind of person who only gets uh productive when they're in the flow and when they're pouring themselves into something um then probably not you know they probably are going to want to be spending 70 hours a week working on it especially if they're on equity only or they've been bought in as a co-founder but you know um it depends on what's being built as well. You know, some startups have a, a very small suite of products that they actually have to get out there to, to to prove market fit. And so, having somebody who's developing, and I think it's important to make the differentiation there. You know, in the very early days, you're more likely to be a developer than a than a, a strategic senior leader. Um, doing that um, on a reduced time scale, I think, is possible. But it all depends. Depends on the the product, the business, the the investors. The, uh, and most importantly the person themselves
0: and then to turn it around is is burnout synonymous with overwork or or maybe it's synonymous with overwork but can the definition of overwork be varied is it okay to work 70 80 100 hour weeks just so as you're you're still feeling good about the the experience and, and is that is it possible to make that sustainable for years not just weeks or months um
1: I would say no i don't I don't think it's possible to make that sustainable you know i don't think I don't think that's dependent on the person i think there there always comes a point where um it just doesn't make sense to you to pour that much of yourself into uh into your work everybody's different though you know it's very very personal um everybody likes to approach a project differently, everybody likes to be at different levels of different level of hands on um yeah it's very personal but i i i argue that that's not sustainable forever.
0: And then just as to, to wrap things up, if somebody has got burnout, is feeling the, the symptoms of burnout, what are a couple of things that you, you think they, they could do immediately, both things on themselves and they, for themselves, and then also potentially with getting support?
1: So the first thing is to try and step out of the situation, even just for a, an afternoon and take a a. a, a Bird's eye view of what's actually going on in their role day to day, and get some perspective. You know, um, talking to the founders of the company and letting them know that you're at that point is very important. Quite often, the people that I speak to who are burning out or have burnt out already actually haven't even spoken to their their founders about this. So the founders see somebody failing rather than somebody burning out, which is which is a very sad situation to be in. And um, and then just making time for uh, for speaking to people, for um, socializing, for getting input from other people, uh for exercise, et cetera, et cetera. Um and then learning some new skills, learning how to delegate properly, learning how to um how to manage people so that they can work to your expectations, so that you can trust them to, to do what needs to be done rather than having to micromanage. You know, micromanagement very commonly leads to, to burnout. Yeah, number of things.
0: Andy, thank you so much for taking the time.
1: You're very welcome. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: This episode was produced by the amazing team over at Dante32, a podcast production agency focusing on content strategy, audio production, and distribution. Check them out at Dante32.com. And if you'd like to receive new episodes as they're published, please subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others to find the show. Thank you.